Hear now the word of God. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this evening. Let's ask him to do that. Heavenly Father, would you remind us tonight that you are holy and that we are to live our lives before you? Would you make us a people who keep your word and do fear you and not the world? We need your spirit to help us because we are needy and weak and often fall short of your standards. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible is a a book that is very clear. Uh, There are some commands that you hear given so often in Scripture that there just simply is no question whether it is something we should do. And of those commands that you find in Scripture, one of the most prominent is this command that God gives repeatedly, constantly, incessantly to his people that we should not fear. And yet at the same time, if you look up the word fear in Scripture, one of the things you find is that God is very insistent that we should fear him. And so the Bible is clear. God's people should fear him and they shouldn't fear him (laughs) and they shouldn't fear the things that can happen to us. And so we need to understand what the fear the Bible talks about. That we're supposed to have. And the fear that God talks about, the fear that that the Bible says we should have toward him, is not the fear of a child who's terrified of being hurt or being injured by someone who's bigger or scarier than they are. It's a healthy fear with balance. Healthy fear has some balance to it. In fact, when Peter is describing what what Peter is describing here in our passage today is a fear that is reverent. Reverent is an excellent word for describing the sort of fear that the, that the scriptures commend for us to have as Christians. Uh, reverence is is an attitude of the heart that bows the knee to God without living in terror or without losing the confidence of the Christian life. You see, there's balance to it. Um, one illustration that I find helpful, I don't know if it'll be helpful to you, I hope it is, because I'm going to keep going back to it this evening, is this idea of driving. Driving actually requires us to have reverence. And yet at the same time, it requires us to have confidence. Because if you are terrified when you drive, I actually, I actually know what it's like to be terrified when you drive, because when I was 16 years old, I took driver's education. And one of the big tests that we knew we would take 
was that we would have to drive from Stafford, Kansas, the town I lived in, and we would have to drive about 20 miles to Great Bend, Kansas. And the thing that made Great Bend, Kansas so terrifying was that we would have to drive on 4th Street in, in Great Bend. And you've never been to Great Bend, Kansas, so you have tr- may have trouble picturing this, but it was a four-lane street running through the middle of town, and on one side you had McDonald's, and on the other side you had Walmart, and on the other side you had Pizza Hut, and on the other side you had a blockbuster video. Yes, those are things that existed back then. And, and it just went on and on. There were businesses on every side. For somebody who was from a tiny town with 3,000 people, the idea of driving it all in Great Bend, Kansas, was absolutely terrifying. And... I had one classmate who was on, I can't remember if it was called 4th Street or 10th Street now, but anyway, uh, they were driving on 10th Street and they were paralyzed, just almost idling the car and just driving so slowly that we were actually a danger to the vehicles around us because people were swerving and taking risks to get around us so that they could be on their way. And this is the thing. If you drive and you are terrified you can cause an accident because you become a danger to people around you. And so that's fear without confidence. That's an imbalanced kind of fear. And on the other hand, I am sure you all have been in traffic where you have seen people who were all confidence and no fear, right? You're driving down the highway. It's a four lane. You're going perfectly fine. You're maybe even going a mile or two over the speed limit. So people will leave you alone. And Someone flies around you going 20 miles an hour faster than you are. That's, that's confidence without fear. Um, and of course, that also puts lives at risk. That puts us at risk if we drive that way. And it's the attitude of a person with no notion that this could kill me. This could ruin me. There's no fear or reverence for the road at all. So reverence in driving doesn't mean that we're afraid to be behind the wheel But it does mean we respect the road, we respect the car, we respect the consequences of what could happen if things go wrong. And the Christian life is similar because we need reverence, we need fear, and we need confidence. We need to have both of those things. Um, And so Peter answers this question. He says, why should we be vigilant? Why should we be respectful? Why should we be careful in the way that we walk as Christians? And Peter gives one overriding reason for our reverential fear here. He says, God is the judge and we will have to answer for how we lived, even as Christians. But then he follows it up with two points that don't reverse what he just said, but they remind us that we, that we can face the judgment of God and yet still live with reverence because of something God has done in us and because of who Christ is for us. So our three points this evening are care, caution, and confidence. You know, all of this is Peter making his case that just like the driver who's respectful of the road, we should be fearful of God as well. So the first thing that Peter presses very hard on is this reality that we should fear the judge. We should exercise care. Listen to what he says again. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 
Peter needs to say this because it was a problem in his day. And it's still a problem in our day. And it can be tempting not to take God very seriously. And his argument is, we should fear God because he's our father and he's our judge. That's what he leans on here. And not only that, but he's a perfect judge. Just to stick with the car analogy, that's going to be our theme this evening, vehicles. My, my grandpa Hendershot, my grandpa Roger Hendershot, was the sheriff in Waukini, Kansas. And I remember my mother telling me about her cherry red 1969 Ford Mustang. And she was driving one day, and I was taught, by the way, that that is the only perfect car that was ever made throughout my childhood. And she was driving in her cherry red 1969 Ford Mustang one day, and she was going way too fast, and she had her friends in the car with her, and she was pulled over. And when the officer came to the window, it was none other than Officer Roger Hendershot, my grandpa. And her friends, when they saw him walking up to the car, they were so excited. They were like, you're going to get out of this. You are, you're home free. And my mother looked at her friends and said, you don't know my dad. (laughs) And they were very wrong. And she would have preferred that it was another officer, maybe somebody that she could talk her way out of it, you know. But um, imagine this. The very sheriff who pulls you over is your own father. You're you're driving the vehicle that he helped to to pay for. You're driving the vehicle that he has insured. And not only that, but he knows you're not in a hurry to go to a doctor's appointment, right? You can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't trick him. You can't sweet talk him. He knows you in and out, through and through. There's no story you can tell. There's no story you can make up to get out of this. And here's, your po- here's the point. If your father is the sheriff, you should be more careful, not less. And the same is true of our attitude towards God. And so before Peter gets to the confidence side of the equation, he lays very hard on this truth that God is a judge who is impartial and he is fair. He's a good judge which should concern us if we're sinners, which we are. See, the overwhelming testimony of the Bible is that God is a perfect judge and he cares about our works. We see this in the Old Testament. I think we're used to thinking of this in the Old Testament. He says in Psalm 62, 12, You, O Lord, will render to a man according to his work. Proverbs 24, 12 says, Will he not repay man according to his work? Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Or Ezekiel 33.20, O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to your ways. Maybe you say, well, that's, that's the Old Testament. Today it's different. Is it, though? Listen to the New Testament. Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Maybe you say, well, that's before Jesus died and rose again. Now it's different. Well, is it? Romans 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He's writing to believers. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. To God, Or think about this one from Paul's letter, 2 Corinthians 5.10. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So do you see this? He cares about how we live. Even people who know Jesus. Sometimes we picture the Christian life and we think, well, now that our ticket has been punched, God does not care how we live. And yet the overwhelming picture that we see from the Old Testament and from the New Testament before and after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus is it still matters how we live. We will still stand before God's judgment seat. We will still give an accounting before our father, the perfect judge, for how we lived. I guess what I'm trying to say is our father is the sheriff and he cares how we drive. And we're going to see the next two points. There's no conflict between God judging us according to our works and God showing grace to us. But before we do that, this point needs to sink in. True faith really should show up in how we live. The second point this morning is caution or this evening is caution. Once he establishes that our father is a perfect judge and once he he uses that to motivate us toward being reverent and serious and careful in how we live the Christian life, Peter makes this second point, which is caution. Listen to what Peter says. He says we should conduct ourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. Now, how does this connect to this primary command that we should live with reverential fear of God. What Peter is saying here is live a reverent life with God at the center. Uh, Live a reverent life with God at the center, knowing that you were ransomed from that old way of life. In other words, Peter knows that we still have a pull within us, something within us that draws us back to treating God as glib, Treating God as unimportant. That's what sin is. Sin is the temptation to treat God like he doesn't matter. It's our declaration each and every time we sin that we don't care what God thinks. And we all still feel that temptation. And Peter's point is God has dealt with the very thing that tempts you to that, that draws you to that. The thing that keeps you from conducting yourself with fear is something Jesus ransomed you from. That's the old you. That flippant, joking person who didn't care at all what God thought of you, Jesus ransomed you from that. God did this undeniable thing in you. He ransomed you through the death of his son. And there's another side to this as well. Not only were you ransomed, but Peter leans very hard on this. What were you ransomed with? God delivered you from the old ways, the old you. Did he do it in a way that was cheap and easy? Is it like he just threw silver and gold into some lockbox and you got away scot-free? No, he says, the thing that it took To ransom you from the old ways was far, far more precious than anything else that you can imagine. Think of the costliest thing on earth that you can picture. 
just a few months ago, the most expensive home in the entire world was sold. And it was the entire top floors of a skyscraper in downtown Manhattan in New York City. And it sold for a whopping $238 million. Think of the sort of things that we think of as valuable. You know, it's hard to imagine something more valuable than rooftop skyscraper property in downtown Manhattan in New York City. To us, that's the most valuable thing we can think of. But compared to what God owns, our costliest things are nothing. God owns everything. All the universe, all the hills, all the beaches, all the trees, all the mountains, all the minerals, all the diamonds in the hills, every single rock in the universe. There is probably some planet out there that is made of pure diamond, and we will never see it with our own eyes. That skyscraper is nothing to him. He owns everything, and Jesus was worth more than all of it. And as much as we value stuff, the thing that it took to ransom us from that old corrupt way of life was the most expensive thing that God had. And Peter says that if we are going to live with reverential fear of God, we need to know what it cost. Knowing what it took to ransom us from the old ways makes it possible for us to live so that we fear God. So that we don't just treat salvation like it's some cheap, easy wink that God can just do anytime he wants. Forgiveness from sin really is the costliest thing in the entire universe. But Peter does one other thing. He doesn't just tell us that Jesus was a ransom to make us feel guilty. Uh, He mentions Jesus To give us our third thing tonight, which is this, it's confidence. He wants us to be confident. You know, maybe maybe you do fear and reverence God, but do you follow Peter here? Do you balance your fear of God with the knowledge that you were ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus? You know, the the last two verses in our reading tonight, Peter is all about building up your confidence and my confidence. What, is, what does he do? He just immerses us in the person and work of Christ. Let me give you a lightning round of confidence here. Just look at how Peter uses these short, simple, heavily loaded phrases to make sure that we fear God, and yet at the same time, we're never terrified. For starters, look at verse 19. He tells us that the blood that redeemed us was a sacrifice that was without blemish or spot. The the one that ransomed you isn't isn't just a sacrifice. He's a perfect sacrifice. There can't be a greater sacrifice than the one that was made for you. Or look at what Peter says after that. It says he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Peter's giving you confidence here. Why? Because the one who rescued you doesn't just know God. He was foreknown by the Father from the foundation of the world. Before anything existed or he ever spoke the words of creation, he knew his Father. He knew the perfect judge. Jesus says in John 17 that he had perfect communion with the Father before the world was made. The perfect sacrifice who saves you perfectly knew the Father. 
And Peter isn't done. He says that Jesus appeared for the sake of you. He uses that phrase. He appeared for the sake of you. It would almost be enough to hear that he died for us, but he gets personal here. He says, Jesus didn't just come into the world because it was time to make an appearance. He didn't just come into the world to save sinners, but instead look at the intentionality in what Peter says here. He says, he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He came for you. You were on the heart and mind of God. This is one of my favorite things Peter says, and it's just sandwiched here in the middle of this long statement. It's so easy to just miss because there's so much going on and there's so much being said. It's so easy to miss this, but notice he came for the sake of you. There is intention here. There's planning here. He loves you. What a message. And Peter still isn't done building up our confidence, building up our hope. He says in verse 21, God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. God is as committed to you as he is to his very own son. You are as safe in the arms of God as his own son is. And we know the son is safe because God raised him up and glorified him. And you know what? He'll do the same for you. We are in our car. And Peter wants us to know it's our, it's our father's car, so we should be careful. Uh, and yes, our father is the sheriff. So we should be cautious, but we should also never forget this is the safest car on the market. It's safer than anything else that there is. And so we live carefully because we know whose car it is, but we live confidently because we know it doesn't get safer than this. We don't have to drive 15 in a 45 speed zone. We don't have to be afraid that every step is going to destroy us. We can do the thing God calls us to do. We can run the errands that he's given us to run because we know it's perfectly safe and we never have to fear. If we aren't confident, if we are just careful and cautious, but we don't put our confidence in Christ, think of the results. One consequence is we become grim and serious and reverent perhaps, but we do it without remembering that we've been rescued. Our sins been dealt with. The judgment that we deserved fell on another. And if we forget those things, what comes from that is a legalism that says, I can be better. I, I, can, I can drive better. I, I, I can do this. I can face the judgment of God if I just clean myself up. If I just do that, I can stand before him with my head held high. If only I become the most pious, most serious, most stern Christian that anyone has ever seen. And it is a trap. A lax Christianity that doesn't take God seriously is just as hideous because it forgets who our God really is. It refuses to recognize that he is the judge and he's holy and we're going to stand before him. You see, we need both fear 
and confidence. But if you won't rest in Christ, then you have no reason for confidence. If you won't rest in Christ, all you have, all you have is reason for fear. Peter intentionally started off these verses with that statement. He says, if you call on him as father, conduct yourselves with fear. He, he phrases it almost as a challenge, right? On the one hand, he calls us to fear. On the other hand, he calls us to faith. And both of these things belong to those who trust him. There is no faith without fear. Faith without fear is glib and superficial. Fear without faith is legalistic and terrifying because there's no life or rescue in that. It's just a treadmill of works and we'll never know if we've pleased him. And the answer is, if we try to live that way, we will never please him. See, this is an encouragement, but it's only for those who call on God as father. If you don't call on God as father, this encouragement to walk in fear isn't for you. You have more basic problems. You need to bow the knee to the Father and repent and trust in Jesus. Because if you won't, when you meet God, you will only have fear. And worse, meeting God will be a terrifying experience. And the judge will look at your whole life. And he'll give you what you spent your whole life earning. Judgment. But for Christians, this means that our confidence isn't some shallow, tacked-on reality. Peter says our confidence runs deep all the way to the foundations of the world, as deep as the relationship of the Father to the Son, and as sure as the one who raised up Jesus from the dead, as glorious and hopeful as the Son who is seated now at the right hand of of the Father. Why? Because Peter says, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray. Lord, we are certainly, certainly tempted to fear you without trusting in your Son. But we're also tempted to focus on Jesus and make you so much in our own image that we never even consider that we will have to give an accounting for how we lived. Won't you help us tonight to regard you as holy and to trust in your beloved son? Give us the confident joy of your people who live seriously with reverent fear before your face, yet knowing that you sent your son specifically and intentionally for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.